Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. What does wisdom look like? When you think about wisdom, what pops up into your mind? Perhaps the the first thing that comes up in your mind is maybe sort of that Eastern mystical monk. Or maybe your mind goes to sort of the, the guru online who has it all figured out and knows about everything. It's hard to picture wisdom. It's hard to think of what wisdom looks like day to day. I was trying to think of an example of somebody that most of us would know and that most of us would think is a wise person. And so as I thought about that, do you know who I came up with? Yeah, no one. Yeah, I couldn't think of a single person that I could sort of say, ah, yes, isn't this person the wise person? The best I could do was, was maybe Ron Swanson, but that illustration was incredibly flawed, I know. We as a culture, we uh, as people living in 2021 have a serious lack of wise people that we can point to and look at. And because we have a serious lack of wise people that we can look at, we have another problem. Because yes, we've got pundits and we've got people who know and can do data analysis, but no one who is truly wise. And this lack of wise people has created a vacuum. And this vacuum has sucked the wisdom out of everything around us. We live in a severe wisdom deficit. Wisdom is that unique uh, God-given ability to not just understand what's happening but to see what's going on at a deeper level, to to make connections between what is happening in our hearts and the world around us. And so as I have anticipated this year, I think that we should spend this year as a church sort of looking at what the Bible has to say about wisdom. Later this year, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs and, and some of the Psalms. But now... Here in January, as we begin, we're going to look for wisdom in the book of James. The book of James was written by Jesus' brother. And and while I made the Ron Swanson joke a little bit earlier, uh, it's not too far off from James' writing style. He He is pithy. He is to the point. He does not pull any punches. He says what he means, and he moves on. And that's what we're going to find as we go through this book. In many ways, this book reads like the book of Proverbs, but in light of the coming of Jesus. This book teaches us what wisdom looks like for real life, because we have lost the virtue of wisdom. Whether we're a Christian or not, this is not something that is seen necessarily as a virtue or as something that's attainable. But for Christians, wisdom is a virtue. It is a characteristic of our faith. 
but why do so many of us lack wisdom? Why is it so hard to find even within the church of Jesus Christ? Most of us lack wisdom. Why? Well, frankly, because we've never asked for it. We've never asked for wisdom, not in a meaningful way. Maybe we said, God, give me wisdom on figuring this question out. God, give me wisdom on when to send my kids back to school. God, give me wisdom on this little, you know, what we're, all we're asking for is to God to make our decisions for us. But what about to live lives that are thoughtful and circumspect in every way around us? That's wisdom. And oftentimes, we just don't ask for it in meaningful ways. And so as James quickly launches into his letter to the people of God who are spread throughout the Mediterranean, he goes straight to that. So we'd love for you to read along with us. Uh, when we're here at City Church, we, we stand up as we read God's word. If you're at home and that's not terribly comfortable for you, we understand. Um, but I'm going to read the first 11 uh, verses of the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For, the person, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. If you're standing, you may be seated. James wastes no time and, and minces no words. This book has one of the shortest introductions of any of the letters that we have written in the entire New Testament. Basically just says, hey, I'm James. Y'all are people out there. Greetings. Hi. Let me talk about some stuff. And immediately he goes to this. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. He, he is not warming us up. He is not taking his time. He goes straight for where we're at. He is talking about trials and hardships and struggles. And he says, I've got a specific way. If you're going to be wise, that you need to think about trials and hardships and struggles. And this thing that he tells us is to consider it all joy. In fact, if you have a, a different version of the Bible, it might even say, consider it pure joy. Which at first sounds, sounds a little bit difficult. The things that I often consider pure joy are things that are joyful. Not trials, 
not the hard things in my life. I rarely think of the hard things in my life as pure joy, just chef's kiss, mm, the best out there. I don't think of my struggles that way. I don't think of my trials that way. But James tells us to to think of our trials that way. What he's not telling us is to just sort of paint over our face, to wear this, this Christian facade of, okay, I'm a Christian, so I must think that everything is happy. No, this is, this is really painful, and that's fine with me. I don't really care. He's not asking us to pretend that it doesn't hurt or to pretend that the trials are fine. No, he's asking us to do something different. And I think that difference is where wisdom comes in. Because what he's asking us to do is to think about our trials in a new way. He's asking us to consider, or maybe better yet, reconsider the way that we see our lives, especially when it comes to trials, hardships, and struggles. When I lived in South Carolina, they had a good word for what James is asking us to do. The word that they would use was reckon, that we should reckon our trials in a certain way. That doesn't mean the trials go away. That doesn't mean we pretend the trials don't exist, but we are framing them in a new way in our mind. Because what's our go-to response when we go through trials? I mean, when the the slightest bad thing happens to us, What do we say? God, why why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen to me, God? Why why did you have to put me behind this driver? I mean, it's, it's as simple as like stuff on the road and traffic stuff. But that same attitude that we see come out in us in the small things is the same attitude that comes out in us in the large things. Anytime something goes wrong, anytime something is hard, anytime something unfair happens to us, we want to know, God, why are you doing this? And what James is telling us is to reconsider, is to reconsider the way that we look at trials, the way that we look at hardships. It's as if James is coming to us, us Christians who love comfort and ease, who don't like struggles. It's as if he's coming to us and holding out his hands and saying to us, what if I told you, what if I told you that trials, struggles, and hardships were actually necessary to create Christian maturity? Because that's what James is telling us. He's telling us that struggle and hardship and how we work our way through it is actually required for Christian maturity. This is the way that we become more and more mature. It is necessary. Now, perhaps an illustration of this is in order. I would wager to guess that tomorrow, Monday morning, January 4th, will be one of the busiest days 
in gyms across St. Petersburg, right? Because I mean, you know, New Year's Day was on a Friday. Okay, I'm not going to start that day. And Saturday, well, you know, I mean, I'm still kind of chilling out from New Year's. And who goes to the gym on Saturday? And like Sunday, I've got to do church. And even if I'm just going online, I can't really go. So, so Monday, I'm going to start Monday. That's the day I'm going to start. And so everybody starts their, their New Year's resolutions, you know, New Year, New Me. And so they go to the gym and they, they work out. And the gyms are going to be packed. Why? Why is everybody going? Well, because they want to, to change their body. They want to change their life, and they want to exercise in order to do that. But the whole thing about exercise is you have to create strain on your body in order for your body to grow stronger. If you don't create strain, your body will not grow stronger. This is true whether you're lifting heavy weights or running or biking long distances. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you create strain, if you create tension, that tension is what grows our muscles, what grows our cardiovascular capacity. Now, many of us, especially here at City Church, uh, many of us willingly do this. We sign up for, for CrossFit memberships or we ride our bikes obnoxiously long distances, willingly. Like, like, like hey, I think I'm going to go ride 70 miles on my bike today. We willingly sign up for that sort of hardship. Why? Because we have a goal in mind. Because we know that this is good for me and it's going to create something on the other side that I want, that I see as desirable. The strain is worth it for the outcome. City Church, I reckon that that's what James is trying to teach us here about our faith. That the strain of trials and hardships is the very thing that will grow our faith. That the struggle that we go through that trials, that, that difficult things create in us, enduring those by faithfully looking to Jesus is the very thing that matures us in our faith. I mean, I talk about all the time my desire to be comfortable, to, to have things my way. I, I, that's how I am. But comfort is the enemy of maturity. Our comfort and ease mean that we will never struggle to grow in our faith. Just like you'll never get strong on your couch, your faith will never get strong while you are comfortable. And so God brings trials and hardships into our life. Why? To produce in us a steadfastness, a, a well-rootedness, the inability to be knocked over by the wind. He creates in us that steadfastness. And when steadfastness works itself out in our life, what James tells us is we can become perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Does that mean if we just have enough trials, we'll stop sinning? No. What it means is that these trials are moving us 
towards maturity. James says when you're looking at your life and the hardships that you're going through, yes, they are hard. Yes, they hurt. Yes, they are not fun. But also, God is at work. God has not abandoned you and God is not surprised by what you're going through. And in fact, he is using those hard things to grow us in our faith. So how do we do this? How do we endure during this trial? How do we have this sort of mindset in us? Well, he says, the way that you do it is by having wisdom. The way that we endure these trials and hardships and, and struggles is with wisdom. And James says it's just what we need and God will just give it to us if we ask for it with this one caveat, right? He says that we need to ask in faith and without doubt, which trips us up sometimes. What does James mean by saying that we need to ask for wisdom in faith and without doubt? Does that mean that if I ever sort of struggle with any questions about God, oh, no wisdom for you, right? If you, if you have any sort of thoughts about what is, what is this like about God or I wonder how this happened in the Bible. Does that mean that I'll never get wisdom? No. James gives us a synonym for the doubt that he is talking about here. He says that that kind of person, that sort of doubt, means that we are a double-minded person. Or to put it another way, we have a divided soul. The way that this doubt works itself out in most of our lives is that we often ask God for wisdom, but also cultivate other plans. I'm going to ask God for wisdom in this situation, but I'm going to go ahead and hustle to make it happen. I'm going to ask God for wisdom, but I'm also going to create a backup plan so that if God doesn't answer, I'll be okay. We create this sort of thing where we're going, yes, God, give me wisdom, but let me have my self-reliance too. And what happens when we try to hold on to those two things at the same time? We are constantly rocked back and forth as our self-reliance wanes and waxes, as our reliance on God wanes and waxes up and down, back and forward. He says, no, what we need to be is wholehearted. Our whole heart reliant on Jesus. When he says that we shouldn't doubt, that he's saying that we shouldn't be double-minded, shouldn't have a divided soul, he's telling us that wisdom comes from Jesus and Jesus plus nothing. Because anytime we add anything to Jesus, all of a sudden our heart is torn in its allegiance. James, the brother of Jesus, would have known this, would have known that his, his brother taught that you cannot love God and mammon. Why? Because a divided heart is not a whole heart. So what happens to us? We think we need wisdom from God, but we also want to 
keep one hand on our self-reliance. We want to we want to keep thinking everything is okay. I I thought about um, the the SNL skit with Stuart Smalley, um, and as I sort of looked at it, I realized that that skit, um, that sketch, went off the air before many of the people in our church were born. Uh, so if you're not old like me, you may not remember uh, that Stuart Smalley uh, was a character played by Al Franken, who was later a senator and then later not. Um, and Al Franken um, would come on and he was sort of a, a motivational coach. And what he was famous for saying is, you are good, you are smart, and doggone it, people like you. And that was the affirmation that he taught everyone to say. And it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny to see Michael Jordan in the height of the Bulls uh, championships runs, looking at himself in a mirror saying, you are smart, you are good, and doggone it, people like you. That's what most of us rely on to get through our trials. We're smart, we're good people, and doggone it, people like us. That's what's going to get me through. That's what's going to move me along. If I can just hold on to that, if I can just hold on to the, I'm enough to make it through. But James tells us that's double-mindedness. That's self-reliance. That's not wisdom. And so Jesus is the one who gives us wisdom. And James shows us that the way that God gives us wisdom is absolutely rooted in the character of who God is. We would need to be wholly focused on what? Who God is throughout the Bible. And James summarized it. He says, think about this. Let's ask God who, first of all, gives generously. God is not stingy. He doesn't have a small bucket of grace where he is going to sprinkle it on you. God does not give you wisdom like finishing salt. God gives generously. And not only does he give us generously, he gives it to all. There are no second-class citizens. There are not people who the Holy Spirit has extra blessed and others who he is not. No. God gives generously. He gives to all men and he will do it. Grace will be given. Mercy will be given to those who ask. So in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles, let's remember who God is and let's make the simple act of faith of asking him. And this asking of God is not a a one-time thing. Hey, Can I get some wisdom? Cool. Go on about my day. But rather, it is a divided, it is a whole heart undividedly looking to God to provide this for us. And James shows us this by rooting how we should be asking what should be going on in our heart with the message of Jesus. How does that work? Well, look at who he addresses next. He addresses the lowly brothers and the rich. And what does he tell them? He tells the lowly brothers to boast in your exaltation and the rich brothers 
to boast in your humiliation. What's going on here? Is, is God creating sort of a, a, a tax bracket system where if you make uh, more than X number of thousand dollars a year, uh, you need to exalt in your humiliation? And if you don't get into that tax bracket, that's okay. You get to result in your uh, exaltation, you know. And so at the end of the year, we kind of go through and we do our taxes and we, we kind of look and go, okay, this is a year I get to get humiliated. Yay. Oh, well, if I write off my tithe, then I can maybe get exalted this year. It's not what God's saying. It's not what James is doing. He's using these categories of the lowly and the rich as a stand-in, as a sort of example of something that's going on. And in many ways, what James is doing here in verses 9 through 11 is what you guys all hear me do every week right before our confession of sin. He's talking to those who think they have a firm grip on their righteousness, who think that they don't need anything from God. He's talking to the self-righteous and the self-supporting. And he says to those people, the self-righteous, the self-supporting, the self-reliant, that you need to ask for grace. That you can't, no matter how charming, no matter how clever, no matter how rich, no matter how godly, you can never escape the fact that you are in need of the grace of God. He says we're not to rely on our own beauty or power or money or our street smarts. Why? Because all of those can go away. Beauty fades. Your bank account can be emptied way faster than it was filled up. Your street smarts have an expiration date on them. When we are self-reliant on any of those things, even our education, we are double-minded. We need to remember that every single one of us needs a grace handout. And, and that is for those of us who are well-to-do, something that has a degree of humility to it, doesn't it? I need someone to give me something that I can't get on my own. I'm completely reliant on somebody else. No matter how big my bank account is, no matter how big my righteousness account is, I need grace given to me, unmerited and unfavored, a freebie. And I need to ask somebody to give that to me. When he says, let the rich exalt in their exaltation, he is reminding us we are in need of the grace of God. But then he says to the lowly, what? Boast in your exaltation. You need to be reminded that you have meaning and significance to God. No matter what your financial situation is. No matter if you have been an epic moral failure if you look around and you have burned your life to the ground by bad decision-making, by addictions, by whatever it is that is your chosen poison, even if that's a picture of you, Jesus looks at you and says, I love you. You matter. You are significant. And that sort of dignity that he gives us is something that those of us who are 
who are well aware of what has been hurt in us, what has been damaged and the damage that we have done, that reminder of our significance is a way that we remember what God has done for us. If you're here and joining us online and you're not a Christian, I want to take just a second uh, to, to ask something of you. There are a lot of bad pictures of Christianity on our screens, whether it's our TV screens, our computer screens, our phone screens. There's a lot of pictures of people who, who are using Christianity to just cover over whatever they want to do. I want you to, to do me a favor. And I want you to look at Christianity through the lens of these pages and not through the lens of your screen. Because oftentimes the voices that are elevated are the worst ones. But look at what God says here that Christianity is. Christianity is something that the person of Jesus gives dignity and value to the lowly. Christianity is something that says to the rich and the powerful that they are to boast in their humiliation, that they are to boast in their need for someone else. All of this, all of this points us to the cross of Jesus where these two ideas come into clear focus. Because because on the cross, Jesus looks to us who are lowly, who feel our need because of our guilt and shame. Jesus looks and says, I died for you. That's how much you matter to me. And for those of us who struggle in the other way, who are rich, who are self-righteous and self-reliant, the cross is an intense reminder that this is what our sin cost God. That Jesus literally went through hell. He took the hell that I deserved on himself. He paid a debt that no matter how rich I am, I could never pay. So where do we go from here? Trials are already here. The struggles are already in our lives. As the, the calendar ticked over from Thursday night at 11.59 to Friday morning at 12.01, as that year became from 2020 to 2021, nothing changed. It's not as if we're going, ah, everything is fixed and everything is fine. It was just the numbers 2020 that were bad. No, nothing's changed. There's still all of the same hardships that we had last Sunday. We have this Sunday. All of the same. The trials, the struggles, the hardships, they're still here. So what are you doing? Are you giving up? Have you sort of resigned yourself to a, to a sort of hopelessness? Or maybe, maybe the way that you're facing all of this is with, with self-reliance and grit and gusto. 2021 is going to be my year because I'm going to make it my year. Church, let's, let's step out of the ditches beside the path. 
Let's step out of the ditch of hopelessness. Let's step out of the ditch of of self-reliance, of independence. Let's, Let's follow James. Let's follow James on a path that leads to wisdom, on a path that reckons trials as means for our growth. Let's walk the path that asks for wisdom again and again as a, as a prayer of every moment of our life. Let's see the gospel message of Jesus in the scriptures with fresh eyes as we remember that whether we are rich or poor, lowly or exalted, self-righteous or self-condemning, Jesus calls to us and says, you matter and you matter so much that I died for you. So let's move forward this year with an undivided heart, with a whole heart. And as we face the trials and struggles and hardships that will come, because James doesn't say maybe this will happen to you. James assures us when you meet these trials, because you will. And 2021 promises us that we will have struggles and trials and hardships this year as we let God do his work in our lives through this crucible of difficulty that we are all in each in our own way. Let's see what kind of people God makes us into. Let's see what this steadfastness that God is working out in us, let's see what that becomes. Let's see how mature God makes our faith. And then let's see what God does with that mature faith in our homes, in our workplaces, in this city. Let's pray.